Podcast. The Gospel according to Matthew was written by a former tax collector who was transformed by the power of Christ. Instead of keeping records for Rome, now he would keep records for God, carefully recording all that Jesus said and did. Matthew references more than 60 Old Testament prophecies, proving Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. Jesus really is who he claimed to be, our Savior and soon returning King. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. Father God, now as we take a look at that stunning passage about the change of our Lord Jesus Christ, really no big change, just revealing the glory that was his before the foundation of the world, the glory that he shared with God the Father. And we pray that, Lord, as we fix our gaze upon the grace and the goodness and the power and glory of God, In the face of Christ Jesus, our Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged. We would be inspired to live the life that you've commanded us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, ever feel overwhelmed and a little burden filled with a little anxiety and fear, wondering how you could keep on going? Well, if you have, this message is for you. Because the disciples had just been given some heavy-duty news that rocked their world, and they're feeling a little downhearted right now. Jesus is going to snap them out of it with a stunning display that will inspire their hearts to overcome any obstacles in their way. And so it comes right on the heel of Peter's great confession there, a great revelation After three years of being together, and that's where we're at here in Matthew 17, six months to go until the cross. After three years being together, Jesus asked them, do you guys get it now? It's been three years. Who am I? And they say, you are the Christ, really Peter, the son of the living God. And this fact Jesus revealed was the foundation that Jesus is Lord. Jesus himself would be the foundation upon which he'd build the church of God. And he said the gates of hell, the power of the devil couldn't do a thing to stop him or his will through his church. And so that's the heads up with who he is, but now he has to deliver the news, sobering news of what his uh, serious mission was all about. He had a cross to bear so that that foundation could be laid and the powers of hell could do nothing about it because he would die for our sins and the sins of the world. And so uh, he lets them know, not only do I have a cross to bear, but you guys really have a cross to bear as well, that you will share my joy, of course, but there's also sharing some of the sorrow along the way. And it makes sense, right? Because he said, you're going to have to follow me, and anyone following someone headed for trouble, if you're following somebody who's headed for trouble, then you're headed for trouble too, right? And so he said that, if you want to come after me, 
You're going to deny your sinful self. You can't live for yourself anymore. You've got to live for God. You're going to pick up your cross and embrace the same kind of rejection that, that faced me. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you kind of thing, right? And then he said, and you've got to follow close behind me in my footsteps. And so that's in keeping with whoever claims to know Jesus must walk as he walked, right? First John 2 and verse 6. And so he just went on with this news. Hey, don't try to save yourself. You have to lose yourself for my sake, and then you'll find out who you truly are, and you'll have life that is truly life. And so, yeah, putting to death all the wrong behaviors and all the sin and foolishness uh, is where we find joy and peace and comfort. But they're not, it's not much of a comfort to hear that right now, because he just told them that they're Messiah is going to have to die. He did say and be raised, but they're not hearing that part. And uh, so they're downcast, right? And they're, they've got this just sinking feeling of what's coming ahead, their hopes and their dreams. Messiah is going down at the hands of evildoers, no less. And so, and there's been a sharp exchange with Peter who said, God forbid, please, no, some other way. And, and Jesus had to rebuke him. And so things are hanging heavy on these guys. And so there's that silence and that heaviness. And so Jesus has got just the thing to help them to leave their pessimistic ways and to have joy and hope again. And he's going to reveal who he is beyond the cross to them. He wants to change their perspective, look ahead in faith at what's coming. But disciples need to do that in order to face the challenges of today. We look forward to the realistic, the, the reality of what's coming with the kingdom of heaven. And so we begin with backing up a few verses just for context, and then our passage will be before us. So here was some of the news that rocked their world. After he said, I've got to die and be flogged and crucified, uh, then he says in verse 24, if anyone would come after me, you also have to learn how to deny yourself and make it about God and others. Take up your cross and, and, and enter into some of my suffering and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good would it be for you to gain the whole world yet forfeit your own soul and perish and go to hell? What good was it? Or, or what can a man, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, to get out of hell, what wouldn't you give up, right? And so he goes on, speaking of himself in third person, the title from Daniel chapter 7, we'll go into it. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person for all this hard work that you've just heard me talk about, there's a, a rewards day coming, and he will give each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, and some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man, the Messiah, coming in his glorious kingdom. Sadly, 
there is a chapter break that doesn't belong here because he promises them, hey, you're about to see the glory of God. And then six days later, the next verse here, 17.1, six days later, Jesus takes them up to the mountain and delivers on the promise he just made. That would clear up so much confusion that has happened in the church about, hey, wait a second, they made this promise, and then we changed the chapter. No, 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 no. Chapter breaks came in the 15th century. They're not inspired, right? And so, yeah, bad call there, but they did pretty good overall, <laughs> don't you think? After six days, Jesus takes him after he said, hey, listen, some of you guys are going to see the glory of God. So less than a week later, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, the word is, metamorphosis happened there before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Man, this is getting good. Uh, you can't go very far before Peter is going to insert his foot in his mouth again. And once again, verse 4, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. And if you wish, I'll put up three little huts, three little shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud, that Old Testament Shekinah glory, the presence of God himself, the Father, envelops them, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, no reason to be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is a great passage in the Bible, maybe a crown jewel of the Gospels, where we get to see Jesus, who he really is, the way he's been claiming. I came down from heaven, he said. I came down from heaven. God himself uh, incarnates himself into the womb of a woman, becomes the God-man, sent to come and offer himself for the sins of the world. Amazing good news. So nothing like a little pick-me-up when you're feeling a little blue, <laughs> the transfiguration. Jesus, the Son of God, knows how to discourage those disciples, or especially Peter. He just really said, hey, man, the devil's using you, bro. Be quiet. He rebuked Peter, saying that, hey, the evil one's around right now. Please stop it. And so that's heavy, man. And so for six days, there's this silence and grief upon them. And then, you know, that's why he says six days. Six days of nothing. Six days of nothing to say. Six days later, nothing was going on for those six days because they're so out of their minds with, with sorrow. They're downcast. Their hopes have been dashed. And Jesus is going to say, listen, I want you to look to the future, to live today in light of the future realities of the kingdom of God. That's what disciples need to do always. We are always told in the Bible, look beyond the cross. Look to the resurrection. Look to the new life. Look to the day of the Lord and make your decisions that way. And so 
that's really going to be our first point. So three things, really, note takers, that uh, if you do these three things that appear in this passage, because in this passage, the guys are going to go from downhearted to inspired. And if you're downhearted and need to be encouraged, man, these three things that work for them, it's going to work for you as well. And so that first uh, couple verses, they're keeping an eternal perspective, right? Make your choices in light of the unseen realities to come when there's a second coming and God is passing out rewards. Keep that in mind as you choose what you're going to do this afternoon. And secondly, or whatever's facing you, you know? And secondly, there's we open up chapter 17. <laughs> Keep your eyes on Jesus and his glory. There's something about looking into the face of Christ uh, that's healing and inspiring and uplifting and life-giving. I mean, after all, he's called the radiance of God's glory. And so eyes on Christ. It's about a person. You're not doing a religion. Ooh, who wants to do a religion, right? Uh, we're in relationship with, with, with the one whose face shines like the sun, okay? Uh, that's a lot more fun than lighting candles and doing a whole bunch of do's and don'ts. All right. So, and then number three, we will wrap up with keep determined to listen to his voice and listen with an ear to obey. God's word is life. And his commands provide safety and peace and joy. And so... Yeah, so, you know, finding yourself in heaven and rewarded by God on that great day where there's honor for you on that great day will make any hardship here just seem so minuscule, so uh, petty in comparison to the great weight of glory that's coming. And so that's our first point. So, yeah, downcast disciples need to remember what's coming. And so those verses there, verses 27 and 28... I kind of expand with a paraphrase as you're looking at it. We've already read it, so here's another way of saying it. So in light of all the tough things I just told you about my death and your life of self-denial for God, please keep in mind, verse 27, that one day the Son of Man, me, the Messiah, Daniel chapter 7, a title, I'll go into that, uh, I'm, I'm going to appear in the spectacular display of glory from God the Father, along with the hosts of magnificent angelic beings. And the Father will be rewarding, and the word is to pay back, good or bad, everyone for all their hard work done on my behalf or lack thereof. Verse 28, and by the way, here's the truth. Some of you standing right here aren't going to have to wait for death before you get a glimpse of the glory of God. You're going to see it in your lifetime, namely six days from now. And so uh, let us really kind of review what's going on here. The future glory will help uh, you over any present difficulty, really. That's the idea here. So let's talk about the Son of Man title. I've told you before, but the whole passage is a fulfillment, really the beginning of the fulfillment 
of the Son of Man passage, where he gets that title, which Jesus uses 88 times of himself. It's his favorite way to talk about himself. He calls himself the Son of Man, and he gets it from this passage. Daniel speaking, chapter 7, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. There it is. Coming with the clouds of heaven, this glorious appearing, the second coming. I'm seeing the second coming. But he looked like a man. He looked like a human being. What? He approached the Father, is called the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One, and, was, and had entered into his presence. He was given authority, Jesus, the Son of Man, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. There he is. He returns and the whole world worships him. And you know the scriptures say you only worship God. We only worship God. So what are we saying here? We're saying that he's God, which he's been claiming the whole time, equal to God in every way. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's it. And so he says... I am the son of man. And the whole point is I'm seeing this second coming, but shouldn't God look a little different than somebody born of a woman, a human being? Wow, he's a human being like us, an exalted human being. He was fully man and fully God. When Mary found out she was going to give birth to the Savior. She said, how's that possible? Because I'm a virgin. And he said, oh, well, your part is to produce the man part, right? The human being part. That's your job, right? But the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and, and, and um, incarnate himself into your womb. And so that what's born from you will be fully human, but fully God. And now we've got a sinless sacrifice who can, as a human being, offer his sinless life on our behalf and behalf of the sinning world. And so why third person? We can go back now. Uh, why third person does he speak of himself? It's, it's humble. It's in keeping with who Jesus is. He doesn't come with the authority of, look, I'm the Lord with a club in his hand, you know, bossing everybody around. But he's what? Meek and gentle, lowly in heart. So he speaks third person. When, when it's about his glory, he speaks of himself third person. It's beautiful. Paul the apostle did the same thing. He said, listen, I got to say this, but I, I know this guy. All right, I, I, he got caught up into heaven and he saw heaven and, and he had a revelation. I know this guy, this friend of mine, you know, he's talking about himself. Because, you know, speaking that way kind of softens the language without diminishing the truth. And so that this is the beautiful passage uh, where we get the Son of Man. And so, yeah, so he's saying, you know... Don't forget, this is a glorious event that's coming, and that's me. The second coming of the Son of Man is mentioned one out of every 25 verses in the New Testament. And so, yeah, it's the polar opposite of the first coming. Jesus comes first, meek and mild. You don't hear his voice in the streets yelling out. He's like, neither do I condemn you and, and, and all of this. And he lays down his life and lets people spit in his face and pluck out his beard and strip him 
without fighting back. Oh, but the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, now tables are turned. And now he's coming for payback. He's already hidden his own out of harm's way. They're not appointed to wrath because he paid the wrath for them. And so he hides them away and then he pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. That's what's coming uh, with the Son of Man. And so it's quite a scene and here's what he's saying. Guys, you know, you're overwhelmed. You, all you see is the death and the suffering and the rejection and the persecution and all of the oive. That's all you see right now. But I want, it, I want you to look beyond all of this to the big event that's coming, and it's bigger than big. Let, let me show you a few descriptions from the Bible. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 says, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven in blazing fire. What does that look like? What is that going to look like? Jesus says, clouds of glory, blazing fire. Wow. With his powerful angels. Think about that when you're thinking, oh no, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> right? That's the point of this whole passage is keep your mind on what's coming and you're going to be a participant, good or bad. You're going to be there. You're going to be involved. So I want you to live in light and see all your hurdles and obstacles in light of what's coming, all right? He will punish those who do not know God. They don't know God because on purpose. It's a willful ignorance that's culpable. And they don't obey the gospel. They'll be punished with everlasting, big word, destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. On that day, this is going to come. And this day, it's all going to happen. Wow. And you're going to see it happen. He's going to be glorified in his holy people. There's going to be the whole universe is going to be applauding and in awe and to be marveled at by all those who believe. That's a pretty amazing uh, passage there. And it's in keeping with Revelation 19 where this same Son of Man appears, it describes, and it just says, man, it's going to be a bloodbath. Armageddon is called in Revelation a bloodbath because the kings of the earth and team Antichrist tries to fight against the rider of the horse. Dumbest move in all of history is to say, hey, there's the Lord, let's fire on him, you know? That's not a good idea. And so with one word of his mouth, he speaks and boom, it's over. And the birds of the air have a big feast. That's what the Bible says, you see. So guys, I want you to be thinking about your problems and your life and your struggles and all of that by thinking of this day that's coming that you're going to witness. Oh, you're going to witness it. You know why? Because every single eye that's ever been created, ever, whether it's an angelic eye, a demonic eye, or a human eye that's ever been fashioned by the hand of God, that person will see this whole thing. We'll be a part of it. Let me show you Revelation. He says, look, he's coming with the clouds. He's quoting the Son of Man passage in Revelation chapter 1. That's from Daniel. And every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him. Now he's quoting Zechariah. And all the people of the earth will mourn, not because they're repenting. That's a grief because, oh, they got caught. And now it's payback time. 
There's great grief when he appears. Uh-oh, here comes the police, you know, the, and all their deeds are exposed, and so it shall ever be. Every eye, he says. Now, every eye means every eye, every single eye. And he says, even those who do the, did the deed, where are they now? If they didn't repent, they're in Hades right now. But they're going to be able to see Pilate, Annas, Caiaphas, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the guy who smacked Jesus in the face when he answered the question honestly. There was a guard standing there and just punched him in the mouth. Oh, he's going to see this. That's the point. Everybody's standing there. They will all see the soldier who held the mallet, the man who pierced his side, but from the New Testament point of view, these, act, these were acting as representatives for all of us. <laughs> all mankind, we're in the crowd yelling, crucify the Lord. As we sing, ashamed I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was me. It was you. It was us. And so what a strategic move on Jesus' part to counter the hard news with a reminder of what's coming. As Tennyson wrote, that one divine far-off event toward which all creation moves. That day's coming. He says, keep a heavenly perspective, people, on that day. Because when that day comes, you will want to have lived as honorably as possible because you're there. One way or another, you're there, you're watching, you're a part of it. You're either on God's side or you're not. Or you're on God's side with diminished reward because you didn't take it seriously. But in this day, this is what he's saying to them. In that day, you will have wished that you lived honorably, that you said no to yourself and stupid things that try to sabotage your Christian life. So think about that day and live today with that in your mind because he said that day is more real than any tomorrow you think of here. And so, yeah, so. And by the way, he says, uh, notice the event is to repay, to reward. Now, when you hear reward, you think, oh, to reward us. He's coming to reward, and he does. But the word means to recompense or to bring vengeance. And many times, in fact, when Paul the Apostle, in his second letter to Timothy, says, Alexander the coppersmith did much evil to harm me. But Timothy, watch out for him. Don't worry, though. The Lord will reward him, same word, for all that he's done. You see, so either way, he comes and he's got his recompense. So, you know, every time you said no to yourself, every single time, cha-ching. Every single time you put somebody else first, you wanted to be first, but you put them first. And every time you kept a tight rein on your tongue and you didn't say it because Jesus said, only let the things that edify other people come out of your mouth. Watch your thoughts. Are you kidding me? Whatever things are true and right and noble and just and excellent and worthy of praise. Every time you worked it, you worked your salvation out with fear and trembling at a cost, at a cost to you. Cha-ching. 
That's what he's saying. Live for that day. Keep your eye on the prize. This is the dumbest illustration I've ever used. Ready? <laughs> but I don't know why it just popped into my head. <laughs> I saw uh, back in the day when The Biggest Loser was popular on television, right, where uh, they take a bunch of people who want to get in shape and lose a lot of weight. And you know the show, right? And so at the end, I don't know, you got hundreds of thousands of dollars. It might even be a half a mil or a mil, right? And so I saw somebody interviewed who won, and he said, the, they said, how did you do it? He lost like 200 and something or, or 250 pounds or whatever. And he said, every day I got up and every decision I made, I thought about the day at the end with all the cameras and my family and my friends and the television cameras on me when I have to take my shirt off and step on the scale and win a million dollars. I thought about that when the cake was in front of me. That's it. That's it. The cake comes before all of us, me included. <laughs> it's always there. It's there in the break room. It's there in the foyer. It's <laughs> if we want to go with the literal cake. But the cry to do what you want to do, the way the world says it's okay to do, is relentless. But in that moment, you say, I'm thinking about the cameras and every eye and the angels and God and the glory and every, every single person in the universe looking. That day, I'm living for that day. Thank you very much. I'm going to have a piece of celery. <laughs> Amen. That was funny. <laughs> All right, moving on. So, yeah, so what do we have next? I kind of, I think it's, uh, I think we're going on to 17. Yeah, let's, let's get to the big event, people. Come on. After six days, here's my paraphrase. Less than a week later, the promise is fulfilled. Jesus takes his inner circle, the three guys, up the mountainside near Mount Hermon. While they're praying, Luke tells us, he was changed before their very eyes. His face started shining bright like the sun. Revelation chapter 1, John looks on the throne, his face is like the sun. Hmm. And his clothes lit up like a flash of lightning, thanks to Luke again. Suddenly, there's some guests involved from the past. Moses and Elijah are standing there, talking with Jesus, thanks to Dr. Luke again, talking to Jesus about his upcoming departure. The word can mean death, departure. Uh, and we know it's, he's talking, they're talking all about the cross that's coming in six months. So, all right, so first we got the eternal perspective brings wisdom for today, and now we're fixing our gaze on Jesus and his glory so that all lesser unworthy things find their little place, right? So when we fix our eyes on his glory, we lose interest in the lesser things and all of our difficulties and disciplines seem like a joy, really. So I guarantee you, look at this. Let me prove my point to you. When you look at the glory of Jesus, I guarantee you, none of those guys are thinking about themselves in that moment. Look at them. They're staring at the face of the Son of God, 
The light of the world that decides, you know what, I'm going to let my little light shine right now, and boom. And now there's finally freedom from the constant argument that's been going on with those 12. What? What's their constant argument? Who's the greatest one? I'm the greatest one. No, you're not. I'm the greatest one. Did you ever walk on water? No. Hello. <laughs> you know, and all of that. And you know what? It's over and over again in the New Testament. And I guarantee you, when they look at Jesus' face here and they're locked on, that conversation is not happening. They're not asking each other about, hey, I'm the greatest. No, no, no. In light of the greatness of God, he's the greatest. And now they're put in their place, humbled there in the dirt there. John the Baptist motto, he must increase, I must decrease. And when you get glued and fixed on Jesus' face and the Holy Spirit reveals to you the glory of God in the face of Christ, uh, that's what happens. It's so nice. So I'm going to throw this in. Uh, man, this is a beautiful little side note here. Because they're near Caesarea Philippi, we know that it's Mount Hermon. So they go up Mount Hermon to, for this awesome display uh, of Jesus' power. Now let me remind you of something that's awesome. Do you remember six days earlier, he's there here and he says, among these pagan idols, the most idolatrous place in all of Israel was here at Caesarea Philippi. And he says there to his disciples, who do, who do people think I am? Who do you say I am? And right here, they're standing in front of this cave. And you'll recall that inside the cave was this bottomless ravine that they called the gates of hell. So he's standing in front of that place, and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, that's true. And on that foundation, me being the Lord, I will build my church and he's standing in front of the gates of hell and he says, and the gates of hell, they won't prevail against that, the church that I'm building. Now, where is he? Oh, he's on Mount Hermon. Where's Mount Hermon? Right above. So he's above the gates of hell with the gates of hell under his feet when he manifests his glory as God the Son. And now we see the gates of hell literally under the feet of Jesus. Just as it's prophesied, the Lord says to my Lord, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, so that's awesome. We'll go back to the verses. He's changed. Uh, Luke tells us it's nighttime, so the disciples are a little sleepy. That may help explain <laughs> what Peter's problem is uh, there. But here, like I said, the light of the world, God is light. In him there's no darkness, so he just decides uh, to let his light shine and show. And so you can be assured that he dumbed that light down as bright as it was so that he didn't blind them. Because can you imagine the real... <laughs> Illuminescence, if that's a word, <laughs> the shine of God. Come on, he, he brought it down for human beings to be able to see without being changed themselves. But there's a day coming 
when John, John says this, I love it. First John 3, he says, beloved, you know, we are God's children, but he hasn't shown us what we're going to be truly like completely. But we know one thing, we're going to be like him because we'll be able to see him in all of his glory. We'll be changed. You see, we look forward to that. But he enabled their limited capacities to understand, wow, this is really bright like the sun. Uh, one commentator said, essentially, this was not a new miracle, but the temporary cessation of an ongoing miracle. The real miracle was that Jesus, most of the time, could keep from displaying his glory. Yet John said, we beheld his glory. Peter wrote, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So the, the writer is saying, look, you know what's really the more miraculous thing? That he was able to cloak the glory, the glory, quote, that he had with God the Father before the foundation of the world, John 17, in his high priestly prayer. The glory that sometimes got revealed almost by accident, you know? He's in the garden. They come calling for him. He's like, hey, guys, what do you need? And they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am, using God's name. And boom. The word for battalion there means hundreds of soldiers. They get a glimpse of Jesus unveils his glory a little bit, and boom, they all go over yeah, they beheld his glory too. And so, um, you know, one writer said, take in the scene, the blinding spectacle, the glory, the honor, the power, the purity, the magnificence, and ask yourself, dear reader, what's more glorious than serving your king? That's what he's doing. He's shifting the focus. It's all about focus. It's all about attitude. It's all about perspective. And it's all about faith. You need faith to look forward and actually believe that that's actually going to happen. And when you turn your eyes on Jesus and you look full in his wonderful face, all the things of your earth, all of them, list them, it's all going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. All right, so just be thankful I didn't sing that for you. <laughs> Verses 3 and 4. On to our esteemed guests. Moses and Elijah show up. Now, first of all, just a few observations that will be helpful to you. Number one, Moses, though he died 1,400 years earlier, Elijah, though he died 900 years earlier, they're looking good. No, they're looking good. They're talking. No, no worse for their wear, right? And so that just showed the disciples, look. Look at them. They're alive and well. Look at them. They don't look their age at all, do they? And so they show up, and Moses is Moses, and Elijah is Elijah. And you, in glory, sharing Jesus' glory, will be you. You remain you forever. One place or the other. You either took a northbound plane or you took a southbound train, right? But you're forever. You're forever you. You are changed to accommodate eternity. But Moses is a Moses. Is Moses. He's not somebody else or something else. We retain personhood forever. 
That's one thing I see there. And the other thing I see right off the top of my head is the recognizable. Somebody asked me, you know, do you think we'll recognize each other in heaven? What? Of course. That's the joy of heaven. They, those two men did not have name tags on. They, they knew. They knew. Why? They knew. God gave them a knowing that we'll be recognizable. You will be you, and you will know that you're you. And everybody who knew the you that you are will know that you are the you that you are. <laughs> I understood that. Now, this is unbelievable. What are those two out of all the Old Testament doing there? Oh, this is great. The law and the prophets is the Old Testament. And they all point to Jesus and the work he does on the cross. That's the whole thing, right? So who better to represent the whole Old Testament pointing to Jesus and the cross, which they're talking about, than Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the prophet of prophets, right? So there you've got the king and the prophets who represent the prophets, and you've got the lawgiver, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, all coming together. And what are they talking about? Guys, this will blow your mind. They're talking about the departure. The Greek word used is exodus. They're talking about the exodus. Okay, let's go back to Moses. Moses is talking the first deliverer who led the exodus, the first exodus for the people of God out of the slave pits of Egypt under the cruelty and the taskmaster Pharaoh right, out of the slave pits and led them, that deliverer Moses, on an exodus out to the promised land. And now what do you have? You have the second, the real deliverer, who is leading the true exodus of the true people of God out of the slave pits of what? Sin and death and shame under whose Who's the taskmaster? They're the devil, who is the power of death in the grave. And he's leading us where? To the real promised land. There you have it. They're talking about the Exodus. And you know what? The majesty of how the Bible is woven together is a testament to its supernatural characteristic there, that God breathed these words. You could never come up with that little story right there. And so they're talking about the cross. And I can imagine Moses saying, this is it. This is, the, this is it. Go for it, Lord. Go for it. You know. And so let's finish up. You can never get too far without Peter doing something um, impulsive and something he might live to regret. Peter says to Jesus, here in my paraphrase, good thing you brought us along. Hmm. How about I build you guys a temporary shelter, a little hut. You know, nothing fancy, but something nice so we can stay a while up here. No worries. You each get your own place. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Lord. You know. And while Peter's chattering away, that uh, <laughs> the place is filled with the Shekinah glory. That cloud... That's the Old Testament God. That's, that's Old Testament for God showing up here because he always showed up in a cloud. And that's important. 
And so they go on their faces, but Peter is chattering away. He's interrupted. God is like waiting for a pause to get a word in edgewise. And so when Peter takes a breath, he's like, this is my son, Peter. I love him. He always does what pleases me. I want you to obey him. They hear the voice. They're scared to death. They fall on their faces. Jesus puts his hand on them. Luke tells us and tells them, get up. No, Matthew tells you that right there in your text. Get up. No need to be afraid. And when they look up, they're like, oh, wow, we're back to like normal again, Jesus only. And so the last thing is uh, to now keep listening to the voice of God with an ear to obey, right? So really the bottom line and the great takeaway for all of this is all about listening to God and obeying no matter the self-denial he causes calls you to or the cross-bearing that's in your way or the fact that you have to lose your whole identity for him and be born anew with a new life and a new orientation and a new way of living and new hopes and new dreams, all of that is swallowed up by the voice of God. You hear it and obey. Now, the others are scared as well. And by the way, Mark 9 and Luke 9, the companion text for this, uh, tell us that Peter was scared out of his wits, and that's why he's talking crazy. It says he doesn't know what he's saying. Well, yeah, <laughs> we know. You know, he, he's saying... And once again, what's, what's he doing? He's thinking about himself through the, through the worldview of it's good for us, what's good for us, right? And so what's good for him and not his friends who are waiting down at the gates of hell, they're waiting down there for Jesus to come down and the cross is six months away. They got to go on a mission, but you know, it's good for us to stay up here. Who cares about them? Who cares about the mission? Man, come on, I'm going to build you some place where we can hang out for some time. You know, this is going to be nice. It will be like a little development, you know, with a cul-de-sac, you know, we'll call it Prophet's Place, you know. Uh, See, Brian, Brian gave me that line, and he said, try this line. It was funnier than yours, right, last service. And I, I just thought I had doubts about it. I tried it out. You know, I'd rather say Moses and Elijah Boulevard. No, that doesn't work either. <laughs> All right, why don't you email me something more creative, okay? And, I, and the winner will get a shout out next week. Yeah, the, the, the father interrupts him and says, look, now, now here's something really heartwarming. The cloud comes. The cloud is God of the Old Testament who couldn't be known, who was either in fire or a cloud, fire by night, scary. The mount that that was around, they went to Mount Horeb to get the Ten Commandments to be with God, and it was filled with smoke, black smoke and fire and earthquakes and thunder. This is the God of the Old Testament before sins are paid for, right? And now here he is. He's speaking, and he says, I want you to know me. I want to know you. Here's my son in whom I am well. Please listen to him. Now, you would think the voice of God would say, listen to me. No, the voice of God says, this is me speaking now through my son. My son and I are like this. 
I and the Father are one, Jesus said. And so now you see that Jesus is God in a bodily form. And since he's your mediator who will take your sins to the cross, now there's no need for fear. So the embodiment of God himself in a body can reach down now and touch you and say, nothing to be afraid of now. The cloud came in and yeah, oh, we know this cloud. It's the Shekinah glory of God and we are sinful men and we've got to be face in the ground. And Jesus says, oh, no need for that. He stretches forth a hand that will be nailed. And the reason they can be comforted and told, get up, no, no worries, I'm God. I'm God. This is my son. He's saying, this is the way to know me. Listen to him and you'll hear me. What did Jesus say when Thomas said, show us the Father? He said, how long have I been with you and still you don't know that I, anyone who's seen me has seen God the Father, John 14, 9. So that's beautiful thing. The cloud comes in and says, now there's a body for God, a mediator for you, and a way for him to be known, not in fear, but in peace. Yeah, and so he says, listen to him, right? Now, he says, listen to him, and as we kind of wrap up here, for, for your own good, and that's always the heart. Listen to what he's saying, and you'll know the heart of God. So check this out in uh, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 13. I'll just read it to you. And you must always obey the Lord's commands for your own good. Deuteronomy 10, 13. So he's not some dictator up there saying, listen to him and do everything he says, because he's God. No, listen to him because that's where you'll find life. That's how you'll escape this madness. Listen to him so you can have meaning in your life. And on that day, stand there without any regrets. Listen to him so you'll pass from death to life. Listen to him and do what he says. And what does Jesus say that we have to listen to the command? Love me. Love me with all your heart. That's such a hard command to obey. Is that such a burden I made you, I sustain you, I died for you, I went to prepare a place for you, you're going to come and see me, I'm going to give you eternal life, you're going to enjoy everlasting pleasures at my right hand, and is it too much just to ask you to love me? Listen to my son, he says, put others first, stop lying, speak truth. Stop cussing. Build people up. Stop holding grudges. These are the things Jesus speaks. Why? To kill your joy? To bring you joy. That's what he's doing. I'll close up with this uh, little surfing story. Uh, not on my account here, but a bunch of American surfers uh, went down to uh, down under there in Australia, and there were a place called Horseshoe Bay. It was kind of famous for surfing. And uh, large waves were crashing off in the distance, and the story goes that the smaller ones were out uh, in front, closer to shore. So the Americans noticed that there was a man-made barrier somewhere there. There's a, 
iron mesh and uh, flotation devices, and it and it and the locals were saying, "Yeah, man, it's permanent and it goes down all the way. There's no getting around it. No, yeah, you can't go out to those waves because uh, it's past the barrier." And they were saying, "Oh man, they thought it was an environmental kind of thing, and so they were just giving everybody a hard time about ruining all their fun." Right, so one of the local surfers has his binoculars, and he walks over and he says, "I just I heard what you guys were saying, and it's amazing timing because what I just saw, I want you to look through the binoculars." And he looks through the binoculars, and he sees the dorsal fins out there, <laughs> dorsal fins, and he says, "Yeah, listen, mate, you know, uh, the barrier." He says, "It's really the thing that keeps you from being devoured." That's what the barrier is, right? And so you see it as, oh, it's keeping me from what I want to do and the thrill of this and the thrill of that. Oh, no, no, no. When Jesus says, oh, no, no, there's a barrier there, my friend. Instead of saying, oh, man, you know, you're saying, oh, thank you, because, you know, here's a picture, right? Do you see the metal there, the chains that caught him, right? That's what is beyond the barrier, Shark-infested waters. That's not risk. I mean, yeah, the Bible says sin is pleasurable. Duh, that's why we do it. It's fun to exercise your own will over the will of God. There's something really sick about that, but we like it. But the problem is it puts us in harm's way. So when God commands us, he's just saying, for your protection, please, (laughs) trust me on this one, and put my... Uh, commands into practice so that you can be blessed. We can do away with that sharp. All right. (laughs) Amen. Okay, let's pray together. Father God, oh, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. We just needed some refreshment in these days, a little downcast, a little weary. Oh, my word, Lord, there's never been a world like this one. And we're just called to keep going and We just get tired sometimes. We pray that this passage would uh, do the necessary adjustment in our hearts and our minds to bring us great uh, joy and peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org. 